Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast in which I take fascinating people out for a slap-up lunch. And all they have to do is be witty and sparkling and tell me all their secrets. Hello, Aid Edmondson here. I'm the brand new host of Out to Lunch. Yes, it's me. Now, Out to Lunch is a very simple premise. I lull my guests into a false sense of security by taking them out for a really good nosh-up, and they lower their guards and tell me everything I've always wanted to know about them. What could possibly go wrong? Today, I'm in an old car showroom in the middle of Piccadilly in London, in a restaurant named after the cars they used to sell here, the Woolsey, or as my French friend used to call it, the Woolsey. It's spelt very oddly. It was built in the 1920s when cars were a real luxury item and the room is spectacular, full of marble pillars and geometric floors and a a domed ceiling, very high ceiling too. It was converted into a restaurant about 20 years ago and it's a kind of upmarket grand cafe in that sort of European style, a a kind of, yes, a really posh brasserie. I'm up in one of the private dining rooms in a sort of gallery overlooking the rest of the restaurant. Very good if you're a nosy parker, like me. It's the favourite place of my guest today. A very, very special guest. Uh, hmm. I'll tell you in bits. She's American. She used to work in Vivian Westwood's shop Sex on the King's Road in the late 70s. Getting any nearer? She formed a band in 1978. Are you there yet? Her voice is unmistakable. The band was, and still is, The Pretenders. Yes, she had international hits with songs like Don't Get Me Wrong, Brass in Pocket and Back on the Chain Gang. She recorded with Frank Sinatra, Cher and UB40, and she's still going strong. It is, of course, the legendary Chrissy Hind. Hello. Hi, Chrissy. I've never been up here. I've never been up here. It's rather yeah, it's nice, great. isn't it? I guess you have to be a VIP. How are you? How are you? Good. I haven't seen you for Since a here. long time. It was in here. Oh, that sounds very starry. Jack, can you still a sparkling water? Um, some sparkling, please. You can have a drink, darling. I'm not going to now. Are you not? No, but knock yourself out. Right. <laughs> I always think of out to lunch meaning slightly naughty. Yeah, well, no, I... Do you not drink at all anymore? Not anymore, no. Do you not? No. Oh, I saw you drinking 10 years ago. Oh, I'm sure you did. (laughs) Many people did. No, I read read Alan Carr finally. He cured me of smoking and eventually drinking too. What did you do for fun? (laughs) Well, I don't know if that was fun. Yeah. I was one of those people who would like to drink at home alone. So, although that was a certain amount of enjoyment there. Yeah. I try to. I try not to do that, but it does happen. But, well, uh, but you know, I, well, you were you were almost in a rock band, weren't you? Well, I was always in a pretend rock band. Well, I think if you're in a rock band, that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Mainly, we don't do things in moderation. Yeah, we used to. When we used to, Rick and I used to tour. Every night seemed to be like an examination, and it was always kind of dubious whether we'd succeed. Well, so I when, always so, feel so like that. So when we came off. We would always celebrate. Oh, absolutely. Every night was like the end of exams. I hear you. But anyway, yeah. after 40 years of that, you yeah. just do what you do to get through it. So yeah. now we don't like to see people before or after shows. Just get in there, get the job done, get out. Do you? 
Otherwise, it's too exhausting. Yeah. Because for everyone else, it's a party. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're having fun on stage, but I was looking it's at your tour too dates. much to keep talking you, to, you know. You've got some tour dates girls, coming up. What yeah. have you been doing? Have you seen so-and-so? It's just, yeah, we, we, we are on tour, actually. You're going on tour for, I mean, it looks like an old school tour. It's just kind of rammed in. Uh, it looks like that almost it, every day. What, what we're doing, well, I love doing, playing clubs. And yeah. after that lockdown, James, my guitar player, and I, we were yeah. saying, what? there's no point doing this unless it's fun. We, we had a real think about why we do this. Yeah. And everyone else has got bigger. And I just kept wanting to get smaller. So I said, well, let's play clubs. And uh, of course, my management said, oh, we can't get any. <laughs> and, <laughs> we can't get any. And I said, oh, okay. And eventually I said, look, I'm, I'm, I've got a few club dates that we'll do for free. And the next day, some club dates came in for me. And my manager uh, sort of admitted he maybe he'd over-strategized waiting for an album. And yeah. I said, like, I, I can't wait because I'm kind of losing it here. And he goes, oh, yes, I, I remember. I asked Van Morrison once. I said, why, Van, why do you stay on the road and keep doing it? And he goes, keep my chops together. Yeah. So, I think that sort of sums it up. You've better just to keep doing it or else you start wondering if you can do it anymore. Or yeah. like you said, it becomes, are we gonna pull it off? And then the huge relief afterward and then the third song to the end, you're already thinking of uncorking that yeah. bottle and it just becomes too. I had a band um, a few years, about 10 years ago, sort of folk band. And uh, we, sort of, we sort of got into trouble because we, we looked at it that we were the hosts of a party. So we, we started drinking on stage. And yeah, it's, well, it's, it's a, easy it's to a, do. You are the host of a party in a way yeah. when you're in a band. Yeah. And that's where you have to figure out, are you the party or are you the host to a party? Yeah. And better that you host it and you not become the party. Yeah. Which, you know, I've certainly blurred the lines many times, but I never drank on stage. I smoked a lot of pot before I went on, during my pot years. Yeah. I learned very early on not to take any creepy drugs on stage. We, because we, you don't, you, it's hard enough to focus on what you're doing without being, I mean, you might have a good time, but you come off and find out, find out it was like a real rubbish show. Yeah. So. We, we've got a, a London pad just near Hyde Park. And uh, every summer we're afflicted by whatever's happening in Hyde Park. And uh, we play a game because most of them are um, incomprehensible. You hear this kind of sound washing over you. And the only one we get, and you've, you've done it twice, is, is your voice. We hear your voice. It's Christy, Christy's on tonight. Amazing. It's, it's extraordinary that you come, you go all the way over the buildings and into, into our little skylight. Oh. It's a very particular voice. And you must have kept that by being careful with it. I don't know. Not really, but I did quit smoking in my 60s. And I think that, arrested the damage that was yeah. obviously. Should we order? <laughs> yes, let's order. The menu here is a kind of old fashioned, um, sort of Parisian, Central European. Yeah, I love it of. here. I love it here because you can hear who you're talking to. This is Georgina, who's going to be um, serving us today. Hi Georgina, how are you? I'm good, yourself? I'm good, thank you. Can I get you any wine to start this um, I will have a glass of the Chablis, please. Chablis. What are you going to eat? I'm going to have the Vichy Swamp because I think that looks good. What are you having, Abe? I'm going to have the uh, the beetroot salad with uh, goat's curd. Yep. And then I would like the uh, fried duck egg with bubble and squeak and wild mushrooms. 
And I would like that, but without the fried duck egg, please. Yeah. Unless you want my fried duck egg. I think one duck egg's enough. Okay. Yeah. So you've got another album coming out. I do have another album coming out, yeah. Called Relentless. Yeah. I've heard it once. Oh, have your, you? Your people sent a copy uh -huh. to my people and it was on some kind of weird coded thing. Right. It was like Mission Impossible where I got to hear it once about a week ago. But it sounded very good. It sounded like you. It sounded like... Oh, good. Like, yes. You know. You know. Keep doing it. What, where does Relentless come from as a title? Is it sort of an, an acknowledgement that you've sort of got to... A, that it just goes on? Yeah, kind of. That life is relentless. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's, nothing, it's not a clever title. Yeah. We we had a working title at one point that was um, no one's going to do it for you. But I don't really like clever things. I like obvious things. Yeah. You know what it was? I think I, I was probably reading a novel and I saw the word and I I like to look up words just to get their exact precise meaning. Yeah. Like lugubrious, or <laughs> so. I mean, I knew what relentless meant, but I looked yeah. it up and there was so much written. I thought, oh, it's just a good word. How does creativity carry on? I was. Listening to um, Brian Eno the other day, he was being interviewed, and he said, um, he said something that made a lot of sense to me that I'd never kind of worked out before, which is that you don't set out to, to write something. Things happen. Your life is, is what the creativity is. And if you're lucky enough, you can pull bits of it down like threads uh -huh. well, Brian and sort of make them into... Great. Thumbs. That way to, you know. Yeah. I saw him the other day myself. Yeah. That sums it up. Yeah. But how do you keep it going? Well, it's a kind of thing of if you don't keep it going, what, what happens? You want to be on tour yeah. and you want to keep doing it. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of what I do that I am very bad at and I don't like. It's why I'm talking to you today because I don't want to do promo and I don't want to be recognized. Yeah. It's almost like a phobia. Yeah. Um, so this is cool because I like you. We're going to eat and hang out. Yeah. And it's not something that... I have to avoid going to news agents for the next two months. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly know something about all that. We do. I remember sort of meeting you in the Zanzibar Club oh, back, in the, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh -huh. Feeling that we were, there was a whole crowd of people in there and it felt like we were all enjoying the same world. There's definitely a, a sense of a, a kind of camaraderie and I think you get more aware of that as time goes on. Yeah, there was a big crossover back then between comedians and and the musicians i think we were all jealous of each other well i think we were in awe of each other yeah. i remember that's where i met peter richardson yeah it was in the hard rock cafe my nemesis but it was in there because there was something for a volcano charity yeah and i met him and i introduced myself because i loved the comic strip you know his furtive way of getting you to do things flushing you out <laughs> so he would just start showing up at my house and kind of hanging out and um Ooh. I introduced him to Jeff Beck, actually, because Jeff is also, as you know, a comedy yeah. fan. Yeah. So when I was asked if I wanted to do something with Jeff, my teenage hero, yeah. and I stood outside my house and he roared up in a hot rod. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And he came in and I made some reference to something I heard in the comic strip. And I said, oh, sorry, that was a, that was a line from this thing. I like the comic strip. And Jeff went, <laughs> and I said, oh. So I said, hey, I have a copy of, I think it was The Strike, yeah. which hadn't been out yet. So yeah. we just pulled the blinds down and watched that and didn't work on the song we were supposed to do. Yeah. And then you and Pete came into a rehearsal room dressed as Bad News. That's when Jeff met you. Yeah. I'm sure you were there as yeah. Jim. Jeff gave me a guitar in the end. Amazing. For one of my birthdays, he gave me an old guitar. It's the best guitar I've got. 
I don't know why he gave it away. It's just a beautiful guitar. Well, he loved um, comedy. Yeah. And you had maybe one of the best lines of all time in any field. Please tell me <laughs> my great line. I <laughs> Oh, yeah. Stairway to Heaven, I could play it when I was 17. Jimmy Page didn't write it until he was 22. I think that says quite a lot. Was that your line? It was, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's, for me, history right there. You strike me as one of those people who, like Iggy Pop, you, you just seem obsessed with bands. You, you just seem, from the get-go, someone who is, who's just about bands. You've always had this urge to be in and live and be a band. Without a doubt, and that's, I grew up with it. I was 14 when the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan. I yeah. remember that. I remember where I was sitting. I can still do all their autographs. I know all their birthdays. Yeah. I had Beatles tennis shoes, Beatle everything. And from there, it just blossomed into the rest but, of the but, 60s. But most people love pop music and they, and they love kind of, they're, they're fans of it. But, but you seem to have a particular kind of hard need for it. It, it definitely was my destiny because, yeah, everyone yeah. loved it. And, you know, you, if, in those days, I mean, I've seen every lineup of the Rolling Stones. Did you know you were going to be in a band no. immediately? No, not at all. I didn't even know that when I came to England. Did you I know? I just wanted to get out of there. No, I but didn't I thought, know. I thought you were in a band in Akron with... Um, I tried a with, few uh, things. Mark, Mark from Mothersbaugh, Diva. yes. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't really know if I had the goods or if anything was going to happen. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons it did happen is I had so many shitty jobs leading up to that. Um, I was never going to have a career. I wasn't going to finish school. Was there, I was didn't there, know. Was there, I mean, there was no plan, but did you, no. did you have a kind of appreciation of the kind of thing you might do? Not really. That's quite brave, then. Well, to come over here I don't know if it's of... brave. It's, I was hanging out with some bad people which was my tendency to, you know, go yeah. for it. And, you know, that was not cool bikers and stuff. I was getting, nor, not much was going on in Northeastern Ohio that was going to be of any benefit. I didn't want to come to New York or I wanted to get out of the States. And I wanted to see the world. So, and I only yeah. spoke English, so I came here. And of course, you know, I, this is where all the music came from that I loved. Yeah. So I went to every kiosk and asked if someone would give me a job. That's the day I arrived. Yeah. And that took me through my whole everything to get me into the band a few years later. And were you playing guitar at this point? Or? Well, I didn't know. I had learned how to play guitar. I didn't yeah. bring one with me to England. I just yeah. brought a few albums. But I came right at the right time. I remember where I was standing when I saw the first Jimi Hendrix album, whose house I was at, the yeah. first, you know, it was all I, where I was when I saw the first Beatles single. And I think, you know, what makes an impact on you when you're a teenager like that, that does stay with you. Yeah. When your first two albums came out, they were such a distinctive sound. A lot of it's to do with your voice, but the other bit was James' guitar. It was James Honeyman Scott. That was yeah. the sound. It felt like a, wow, this is new. We'd had all the sort of punk stuff, and you were, you were sort of vaguely involved in, in that, you, or you knew all the people. Yeah, I could never but, make it in the punk thing, because I was a couple of years older, and musically dare I say, I had different and more influences. You know, I was yeah. just a Bobby Womack, and they, they only had heard Mott the Hoople and yeah. Roxy Music. So, you know, I was coming from a different... Yeah. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. It's nice. Yeah. And Jimmy Scott, who lived in Hereford, he wasn't interested in punk at all. And he is the sound of the contenders. <coughs> I mean, I just lucked out with meeting him. The sound is... It's, it's an amalgam, isn't it? I mean, that's what a band is. Yeah, it's, it's always... of course. 
but see, <clears throat> he sort of brought the melodic side of me out, and I made him play solos, which he didn't want to do. Yeah. He didn't know how good he was. And every guitar player I've had since bowed down to Jimmy Scott. So that's why I believe it's kept that sound. I was listening, reading a bit about uh, Johnny Marr the other day, who said, um, as a warm-up, he always does one of Jimmy's solos. Whenever he goes on stage, it's an extraordinary thing to do, isn't it? I mean, I mean you can hear it in the, in the whole of, of, of their work, can't you? Yeah, and when I met Johnny, uh, he played me a demo and it sounded just like Jimmy Scott. Yeah. Because was, Johnny was in the band for a couple of years. Mm. This is nice. Yeah. Now, there is something in your, um, that I read, which is that you are a quoted creator of Smelly Cat on Friends. Is this true? I mean, I've, I've seen you play it. One of my many regrets. <laughs> um, I can tell you how that came about. Yeah. This new show was on, which I'd never heard of, Friends. Warners were putting out an album for Friends. And so they asked artists that were on the Warners label if we had any extra tracks that we would put on to make this album. Yeah. Well, we had just done a version of Angel of the Morning with Stephen Street. And it, it turned out we weren't going to put it on the album. So we said, yeah, I have that. So then I get this. I think this is how it went. Would I like to come to L.A. and be in the background uh, of a um, coffee shop playing Angel of the Morning? And mm. that was all. No, no, no part or anything, just sitting in the background. And I've never wanted to be in any way, shape or form on television or in any kind of acting situation at all. But I thought <clears throat> it just seemed like a good idea at the time, because I could go and I had a friend, I thought, oh, I'll see my friend Marianne, she lives yeah. in Venice Beach, and I'll be, you know, reason to go there. But when I arrived and was in the dressing room, I noticed there was like Us Magazine, People Magazine, all these American magazines, and the, the cast was on the cover of all of them. Yeah. And I thought, oh. Oh, it's a famous show. <laughs> it was still in the early days, though, so I thought, well, I'm okay because, you know, I live in England, so no one's gonna see it. <laughs> and I always kept my thing very, because my kids didn't, they were not rock and roll kids. I just yeah. took them to the local school and everything was fine until one day I was spotted by one of their friends <clears throat> because I'd been on Friends. On Friends. So wow. it kind of blew my cover. Yeah, and then we later re recorded a punk version of that for some reason. Yeah. We were in the studio and they asked us to record another version. And, but yeah. I don't claim any credit at all. Dearest Lunchers, just to let you know that after you've finished listening to this, there's more. Yes, more. Join me over on The Digestivo, where you can hear your favourite guests tell us their top five restaurants in the world. Yes, that's in the world. That's potentially 60 restaurant recommendations from our special guests. And let me tell you, they know a thing or two about dining out. The Digestivo is also the place where we squeeze in some of the juicy extras that we didn't have room for in our regular episodes. For just £2.99 a month, you can get all that and every episode completely ad-free. Way less than the price of an actual Digestivo. This is the sort of thing you could be missing. I like places that are, feel timeless, where you really don't know what year it is. Yeah. That's why I like Italian restaurants often especially when they play Italian music. I don't even care if it's crap pop music, as long yeah. as I don't understand the words. <laughs> See? 
Start your free trial of the Digestivo now by clicking Try Free at the top of the Out to Lunch show page on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you about your food experiences, from the most heavenly to the most excruciating. Just email lunch at sonymusic.com. Right then, back to the chat. This is an interesting thing I read recently. Creativity is a form of laziness. Do you write, do you, I don't think that makes any sense. I, I do. Whenever I'm writing or creating stuff, I spend a lot of my life not doing it. You'll have to be doing something and you'll find that the working day is actually about an hour and a half long in the end. And You've given yourself the whole day to write isn't it? something. It ends up being sorting out the cupboard of cups. I suppose, it, I, I suppose it's, it's laziness that provokes creativity rather than creativity. Well, um, creativity isn't for everyone though. And no, a lot of people why, why say they're that? artists. Yeah. And I look at their thing and I think, no, you're not. But yeah. you know, they think they are. So, I don't even think of myself as a musician it's, it's, because it's, I have very primitive skills. The way I yeah. see it is I, I got away with it. But you know, and I, I'm, I'm still hanging in there. I think most people think that, don't they? We sort of hung on and we, we, and we, and we, 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 we fall. It's very down. hard to, to define how it works because you see so many people, we all know a guy or a girl, you know, they keep at it for years and, and they're really crap and you know nothing's going to happen. And you want to take that guy aside and say, you know what, just lay carpet, pal, because this is yeah. not going to happen. You're wasting your time. Yeah. But you can't say that because that would be mean. And the other thing is you never know. You just never know. But, but you know and I know that often it's not who's best. Yeah. It's, and that's, that's the funny part. I mean, once in a while you get someone who clearly is very gifted and is brilliant. Do um, you? And, and they I'm also- i to think who they are. Jeff Beck. Yeah. They really work hard at yeah. it. Yeah. Like, you know, I noticed at, at Peter Richardson's daughter's wedding and he asked if I would sing, I'll Stand By You and Jeff yeah. would play guitar. And I thought, well, I hadn't sung it for a few years and I thought, eh, I can do that. And I didn't even think about it. I thought, I just hope I remember the words yeah. when we get to it. Whereas Jeff, the world's greatest guitar player, he disappeared in a room for an hour before we were meant to do this and um, just was playing the song. And yeah. I thought, that's how he does it. Yeah. Because he really works at it and he makes sure it's right and he won't fail. Whereas I just blag it. Um, you know, I'm not Jeff Beck on guitar. Yeah. But I really noticed that. Yeah. You have to put in the hours and if you're not prepared to, like in rock and roll, it's not who's best, it's, it's, a, it's a personality thing. Because yeah. as we know, there's a lot of singers and players out there that are pretty shite, really. Yeah. But they have something that people love. Yeah, some people can get very good at something, but it still doesn't have any feeling in it. And other people can not be very good at it, and it just oozes yeah, feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, take the song um, Louie Louie, three chords in the guitar. I think if you handed a guitar to like 15 different players, from Jeff Beck, you name the player, someone yeah. that's been in a, a local bar band for, you know, give it to Bruce Springsteen, hand that guitar to 15 people. And probably the person that will do the best rendition is a kid who's 15 and has only been playing for two months. Yeah. Because that's the personality of that song. And when you get too good, that's what happened in punk. Once all the guitar players, of course, want to get better. That's what guitar players want. Yeah. And once it got good, it wasn't once they punk got better, anymore. They went, yeah. Didn't have the spirit of it anymore. Whereas I've never improved, so I keep that <laughs> punk spirit in my band because I, I, like I said, I hit a plateau. You're the punk element in your band. I am. 
Thank you. Well, thank you very much. What have you got? I've got, I've got the, I have I've the got, same as you. I've got, got a duck egg on my but you've got no duck egg. Yeah, Martin, who I think is the greatest rock and roll drummer. Well, he's an old man. He's my age. Actually, yeah. he's four, four days older than me, so he's even older. And, you know, it's an athletic thing you have to do. Yeah. When we started doing this new album, it was a very quiet, slow... It evolved into a rock thing, but it didn't start out that way. But I've worked with other people according to... You know, yeah. I am the band leader and I have to make these calls. I just got a message from Mark. You know, he's one of my best friends. But when he played the Taylor Hawkins gig, a tribute for Taylor Hawkins, who was in the Foo Fighters who died. Yeah. Uh, we did three songs with Mark, rock songs. And I don't think we'd been on tour. And I could see, you know, he was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard... It's a hard thing. You have to really job. stay on it all the time. But you have to stay on it as a band leader as well, don't you? It's, it's, you, you have to make these decisions, you're not, you're not, sure. I find when I go on tour, that it's... Um, there's a point where I think, oh, I'd quite like to go to bed instead of going on tonight. Do you never get that? Do you never get the... No, because... I know if you have to go on, you have no choice. And it's incredible what you can do when you have no choice. Mm. That's a lot of the reason why people like doing it, because their focus, I, I, it's, their focus is all put into this one hour. Or now, for some people, are paying three hours, not my cup of tea. But yeah. the whole focus of the day is in that one hour, and everything else is leading up to that. And you know there's no way out, unless you lose your voice, in my case. I mean, do you lose your voice? I have in the last few years when there was something going around and I've canceled about five shows. Yeah. Before that, in my whole career, I've only canceled about five shows. Once when they said I'd have a miscarriage in Japan. Once when the doctor in Australia said, if I went on stage, I might blow up my eardrums. Even with knee injuries and wearing crutches, I still got up there. If your voice goes, there's nothing you can do about it. Horrible. And, and when I've done it, the crew gets in at eight, sets up the light, lighting rig, the whole thing. Yeah. And we get as far as going to do the sound check. And then I get in front of the microphone and it's like, and it's like, nope, it's not going to happen. So they have to take everything down, tell people waiting out in the queue. Yeah. And then you have to have a doctor's certificate <clears throat> because it, then it's, a, it's an insurance claim. So it's yeah. a big palava. Yeah. And um, I mean, when I cancel, I, I go back to my room and cry sometimes. Frustration on behalf of the crew, although you know they're getting paid, they don't care if they have to set it up and yeah, tear it down. But I don't like it, I think that yeah. wasted everyone's day. What are you looking forward to these days? Well, going back on tour because I haven't, we have, we're not burned out yet. If we're playing a club, you get there, get out of the van, go play, walk off stage straight into the van, yeah, no dressing room stuff, and just go yeah. back to the hotel. So, doing the clubs because they're fun. But they're big money losers. Because, you know, unless you're all in the van together, you're humping your gear and you have no crew or sound man. Well, we yeah. have a guy doing sound. We have a skeleton crew. Yeah. And we will stay in hotels. Yeah. So, you know, so that's hence Guns N' Roses. Because we support so them. So you're supporting Guns N' Roses and, and, and the Food clubs. Fighters, aren't you, as well? Oh, There's one that. show. All right. In, uh, and they're sort of bookending it and paying for the club tour. So you're basically touring for fun. That's why we're tour. That's, That's amazing. Why we're tour. I mean, and that is amazing. The and the people who will come and see you will remember it forever <clears throat> because they'll be so personal and so kind of close. Well, I think what people remember, certainly what I remember when I see a show is if there's a mistake. Yeah. I can think of all the big gigs I've seen. And I always remember when something goes wrong. 
Yeah. Or when there's some fuck up or there, someone has an argument on stage or something definitely. Yeah. They all didn't and get the ending. And you know it's live. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know they, you're seeing a... Yeah, they a, didn't get the right... A bespoke performance. Yeah. yeah. And also just because it's exciting. Yeah. But when you see these big shows, these three-hour jobs, and they're yeah. all on auto cue, which you can't see, but yeah. backstage you can see they're all even reading... In between, what they're going to say in between is on autocue with a lot of people. Whereas, maybe I don't prefer it, it's just the way I do it. I get out there and I have no idea what's going to happen. I do don't know what I'm going to say in between songs. Do you not? Do you manage to say different things every night? Pretty much. Yeah. And then you'll get a few ardent fans who will show up at every gig. Yeah. In a way, you appreciate they're there, of course. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you keep seeing them every night, it makes you self-conscious about if you said something that you said last night. Yeah, no, I'm pretty miserable with fans and with people in general. I've never got used to it. I never made the step up to be the gracious. Because I like doing this. I like getting on the bus and well, hanging that, out. That makes I like you doing ordinary are, shit. Yeah. Would you like to look at dessert? Yeah, have a look. It's always worth a look. Um, well, I recommend the, uh, the uh, Coupe Lucien, which is probably maybe Lucien Freud concocted. I don't know. <laughs> but if you like butterscotch and pistachio. Have you chosen anything sweet? I would like a, a black coffee. I'm going to have the Coupe Lucien. Oh, okay, two spoons. Yeah. If you want to share Pistachio it. hazelnut and almond nougatine ice creams, whipped cream and butterscotch sauce. Good choice. Uh, and I'll try another <laughs> glass of that wine just in case. <laughs> Lucien Freud used to have a table here. <clears throat> Did you know that? No. It sounds very unlike Lucian Freud. But this, this was his favorite every night. Did he? Well, oh, I don't know if he came here every night. I think he came yeah. here enough, enough that they gave in, him Enough that they, they named a dessert after him. Pretty good, huh? Mm. There was a kind of excitement about The Pretenders, which was partly the fact that it was fronted by a woman. There weren't many bands fronted by women in those days, were there? There were lots of women who had careers as solo artists, but there weren't many... Mm women-fronted bands. It was a kind of... Yeah, well, it was my band. It was an excitement. So, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. If anything, I was given too much credit because of that. You know, it's, it's a gimmick. It's show business. I hear women say, yeah, but we weren't encouraged to be in bands. And I'm yeah. like, well, no one was yeah. encouraged <laughs> to be in a band. That's why you got in a band. Because yeah. you weren't encouraged. Yeah. And now there's rock schools. I know. How to be, a, how to be in a rock band. So that's, you know, every, that's exactly where you're not going to learn how to be in a rock band. Because all the guys who put their kids in rock school, they wanted to be in a band. Our parents were not having it. Yeah. So they weren't breathing down our neck. Someone mm. asked me the other day, they said, don't, should, don't you think we, people should be writing more protest songs now? And I was like, well, first of all, take the word should out of this. Because yeah. <laughs> no one should tell yeah. someone else what to write. You know, there's, protest songs have a place. But I think for people to really make changes in this society, they have to, first of all, something has to lift their spirit up to give them a feeling of wanting things to be good. It shouldn't come from anger. Yeah. I mean, that burns itself out pretty fast. So if you write a song, even if it's a really daft song, I'm not, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about a song like, Some Guys Have All The Luck. Yeah. That's a great song because, I don't know if you remember the lyric, some guys have all the luck. Some guys have all the fame. Some guys have a little sunshine in their life. My life is always filled with rain. Um, <laughs> he's sitting on a bus and he's alone 
and he sees someone else and they're holding hands. And it's about this lonely guy on a bus yeah. seeing someone else who's happy. But the, the, the magic of the song is if you don't know what the lyrics are, it has a really happy sounding chorus. And yet it's a real sad song. And to me, that's great when a, when a song can seduce you yeah. and it doesn't come after you, but you go after it to yeah. figure it out. Oh, that's great. Like, yeah. one of, I think one of the great rock lyrics of all time is uh, Iggy Pop, I'm only five foot one. What a great <laughs> lyric. I'm only five foot one. I work in an amusement park. I've got a pain in my neck looking up at all the big folks. Yeah. And I'm not going to grow anymore. That's the chorus. I'm not going to grow anymore. Yeah. I'm only five foot one. And I, that, that's the perfect rock and roll. It's not about, hey, baby. You know, yeah. now all the songs are about yeah. vengeance. You know, yeah. I don't need you. Christy, it's, it's been lovely to see you. You too. Really lovely to catch up with you. I got, I got something I was going to give you to, yeah? to Jennifer. But um, I was in a chemist and I thought, wow, I haven't seen these candles for a long time. And I used to love them. So I, you can choose a flavor. She'll know what they are. Yeah. The queen of the night or the, the precious wood. Yeah. You burn them and they turn into cypress. a liquid and they burn for, for a long, long time. And they're really special. Yeah. They're really old. They, they've done them for years. Yeah. I used to get them to put in hotel rooms. Or it's you can have it. Don't even tell her. <laughs> I'll save it and give it to her for Christmas. Oh. <laughs> what was the story I knew of a guitar player who really fucked around on his yeah. wife? A girlfriend, or oh, what was it, sent him some flowers to his house on Valentine's Day. You know how this is going to go. Yeah. And he was like, fuck! And he like ripped the card off when he saw them arrive and yeah. put a card on and gave them to his wife. And she goes, they were for me. Oh, that's really good. And there was another one where um, she was going through his sponge bag. He left it in the bathroom. Yeah. He was all, he was a real fuck up, this guy. And she walks out of the bathroom with a note that was in his sponge bag that says something like, um, love from your play pal. And she pulls it out and he goes, ah, those guys. <laughs> he had one after, true stories yeah. like that. It's a hard life, isn't it, rock and roll? Yeah, because someone has to live yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you do. Well, I'm glad you're glad because For it gives me incentive. Because, yeah. you know, every day I think, eh. Yeah. Well, should I bother with it. this? Should I bother? What you does should. it mean? The existential meaning of it. We all have to carry on we have to carry doing on. what we do. And that's probably why we are what they call survivors. Because we're, I don't know about you, but I think there's a certain kind of person that's one of those uh, get on with it people. Just yeah. get on with it. Yeah. I think I enjoy myself more now than I used to. Oh, I absolutely I mean, it, do. It doesn't, it doesn't feel as reckless and as kind of footloose and as kind of wild. Yeah, it's but not I, as dangerous it, or but, anything. But, but, but I think but you I, know what? It's more amusing. I think I enjoy the mental freedom. Yeah, I, I think things are funnier now. There's nothing to prove. I like being able to look back over decades and seeing how it's unfolded. Wherever yeah. I walk in London, I have history. And I, you know, remember the buses when there was bus conductors and they yeah. used to give you a ticket according to how far you were going. And I yeah. miss that. Paper I love that. Stub. I always loved London and I was always in love with it right from the start. And also, I've, I love humanity more. Yeah. Like on the way here, I would just sat in a, you know, in a prêt-à-manger on the bench just watching people walk by and I, I just see these like real sad sacks and I think, I love you. Yeah. Like, well, maybe I'm losing it here, but I really love humanity so much more. 
I think that's what your music is about. It's, it's, it's about humanity and humans. And, and a lot of music isn't. A lot of music is about the people who write it. And they're, they're, hmm. not, they're not as interesting as they think they are. Whereas yours has the connection. And well, that's a, a nice, uh, thing nice uh, thought. So have we said our goodbyes? We have, I think. Have we said our goodbyes? All right, well, thank you thank again. Thank you, Johnny. Brilliant. Thank you so much to Chrissy for such an illuminating chat. She is a wonderful human being. The new Pretender Studio album, Relentless, has just been released on Parlophone, and they're currently touring Europe and America with some of those dates as special guests of Guns N' Roses and the Foo Fighters. You can go to pretenders.com for more info. Big thanks to the team at the Woolsey. Thank you very much for having us. And if you want to book a table, and I strongly recommend you do, go to thewoolsey.com. Now, as I said, it's spelt very oddly, so I shall spell it out for you. That's the W-O-L-S-E-L-E-Y.com. Yes, very odd. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your pods for new episodes. And please tell everyone about us so we can make some more. Thank you to our production team. The assistant producers are Rani Prescott and Dulcie Wadcock. Social media is Jonathan Imiere. The recording engineer is Matthias Torres Sole. And the mix engineer is Gulliver Tikel. The senior producer is Selena Reem. And executive producer is Ollie Wilson. Out to Lunch is a Sony Music Entertainment production. That was out to lunch. We've eaten all the grub that set our lips a smackin'. That was out to lunch. We polished off the booze and soiled our napkins. 